You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Thanks, Lord, for uh, the music that um, just prepares our hearts. And thank you, Lord, that we can praise you with our voices. And now, Father, as we look at the scriptures, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you would have us see this morning uh, from our text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 3, either with your physical Bible or on your tablet or screen or whatever you got. Um, I don't know what you think, but uh, babies are kind of fun. Um, especially when they're someone else's baby, right? And you can just hold them for a little while and then you can give them back because babies uh, are a lot of work, you know? We got a number of babies in the church here. We got more that are on the way and um, diapers, middle-of-the-night feedings, um, food, all the stuff that comes with babies is a lot of work and Babies, like, they want what they want now. So when they give you the word or the scream, whatever it is, they're not wanting something in like 30 minutes. They're not wanting something, sir, okay? And so another way of putting it is babies are really selfish, okay? Can we all like agree with that? Babies are selfish. But let's cut them some slack, okay? It's for their survival. It is for their good, okay? They need what they need, and they are totally helpless and dependent on either their parents or those who are caring for them in the moment. They must have what they are asking for. And your role, if you're a parent, is to bring them down this road of transition where they are not solely thinking about themselves, but the, the emphasis of their lives is beginning to shift a little bit, okay? So that they are going from not solely thinking about me, but they're actually beginning to think about we, okay? So as a parent, if you still have a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, or maybe even a 20-year-old who is still like demanding and screaming like a baby and wants what they want now, all of us would say, we got a problem here, right? We would all admit there is a problem. As, as parents, what you're trying to do, part of the parenting that you are trying to like, you know, live out is to actually take your kids from this mindset of me to we. So that they become not only like a productive part of the family, but also eventually become a productive part of society. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 here is wanting to explain to these believers this mindset of moving from the me to the we. And he's making a transition here in chapter 3, moving towards like a little bit more practical teaching. By the time we get to chapter 4, it's going to be really practical from 4 right to the end of the book. But all the way along here, he's been building and kind of laying a foundation of who we are in Christ and what does it all mean to be a believer. And now he's starting to talk about what does it mean to be we, 
this thing of us together. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to explain to us what that we means. And he says the, the way that we're going to understand it is actually through a mystery. It's through something that has been hidden in ages past. Something that people did not know about. It is a, a redefinition for God's people. And Paul is going to begin with the mystery of his own story. The mystery of Paul's own story. So, in verse 1, he says this, For this reason, Paul says, part of the mystery is actually what has happened in my own life. So if you're not familiar with Paul's story, it's in, a lot of it is in the book of Acts, but it's also in other parts of the epistles, where Paul gives his own like, defense for who he is and where he's come from. In Acts chapter 8, Paul comes onto the scene when Stephen, a brand new deacon, is brought before religious leaders. So deacon is, is a faithful servant, and Stephen was elected as a deacon. He's serving the church well. And then Stephen runs into trouble with the religious leaders, and they say, this guy is teaching a false message. And Paul is one of the, the leaders of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And any dissent in the religious life or any new ideas, Paul is wanting to crush those. So in chapter 8, his own explanation of what God has done, and he refutes all the, the history and the, the tie to the religious life that they had kind of put all their hopes in, and at the culmination says that Jesus is the answer. And that ends up like just enraging the religious leaders. And they stone Stephen to death in Acts 8. And what it says there in Acts 8 is that Paul was there and he was actually overseeing what was happening. Paul was the guy on the side seeing what's going on. They start stoning Stephen and he's like, perfect job guys, keep going. He's given the thumbs up on the death of Stephen. At the end of that chapter, it says that a great persecution arose in Jerusalem. And Paul is the one who is leading it. So Paul says, here's this little new movement. A little something, a little nucleus of something brand new starting. And Paul says, I'm a Jewish religious leader. We are crushing it down. So look again here at Ephesians. We read verse 1. Now look at verses 2 through 5. Paul writes this, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. You see what he says there in verse 2? Assuming that you have heard. And verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive. Paul says, here's, here's your clue into the, the mystery. Part of the mystery includes my own story. Paul's own testimony that God would actually do something through someone like Paul. And when we look at Acts chapter 9 then, we get 
greater insight into Paul's own salvation story. It's a miraculous story of God intervening in Paul's life. So he is, he is breathing threats. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if you found any belonging to the way, which is this way of calling these early Christian believers, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So here's Paul's story. He is literally on the way to have more Christians killed. That's his top job. Find people who are following this way, this, this so-called Messiah named Jesus, and then kill them. And look, both men and women, so merciless. He is after this thing no matter where the road takes him to shut it down. And right in that moment, Jesus meets him. Jesus saves him. He is met by it. Then verse 15 goes and says this, But the Lord said to him, Go, he's talking to Ananias, who's supposed to meet with Paul, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, this is Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So this is what Paul is saying in verse 2 where he says, I'm assuming you, you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which includes my story. Paul's saying, have you heard my story? I was going in the opposite direction of Jesus. I was against all that he was about. And yet in that movement away from him, God saved me. God met me. And not only did he save me, Paul says, he chose to use me as an instrument to take this wonderful message of the gospel, gospel to Gentiles. Paul says that's what God did. Can you believe it? God did that. Saved the worst of sinners and brought him into salvation and into the mission. And so in, in, back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, Of this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul says this, this gospel, this message of grace, and we've been talking about it now for, you know, the last two weeks was all about the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, the fact that we can't earn anything no amount of Bible reading, no amount of coming to church. All those things are very important, valuable, but none of those things save us. We are saved by the grace of God. And so Paul says, even for me, the greatest of sinners, Paul says, the grace of God has come. And he says, now this is my role, and it was his role for the rest of his life, to bring the gospel message to the Gentile people. He did it to the Jews as well, but to the Gentiles. So then look at verse 8 here. He says, To me, 
Though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, here's the first kind of tip of the spear of the mystery that I want to tell you about. He says the first tip is that God saves sinners. God saves the worst of sinners. Paul says the gospel is the greatest message that ever could be preached. And he says, here's the living proof of it. He says, my own life. I'm experienced. I have experienced the grace of God. It has come into my life. There is no one who is too far from the gospel. And if we had an honest assessment of our own lives, we would say, man, Lord, I can't believe I'm saved. God, how did you do that? How did you save me? How did the gospel reach my own heart? But then for all of us who have loved ones who don't know Christ yet, maybe even little children in our families who are just like, man, Lord, how are you going to reach this little child? Or maybe it's someone who is you know, older. Lord, how are you going to reach this child? Paul's saying, listen, here is something you've got to hang on to. And it's this, that the gospel saves people, even the worst of people, the worst of sinners. Paul says, I got saved. I hated Christianity. I tried to just crush it and kill it. And in turn, it reached me. The gospel message saves the worst of sinners. And this is something, we're only spending a few minutes on it, but it is something that is deeply profound and should humble us and should encourage us and should give us courage even to share the gospel, even with people who we think this could never happen. The gospel would never reach into the heart of that person. Who are we to say that? Paul says it reached me, the least of people on the planet who could have the gospel preached to them. And he says this is a mystery that God would use someone like him. So Paul says there is a mystery in even my own salvation. But then Paul says there is a mystery in the movement the movement of which we saw in Acts was called the way. There is a mystery here of how God is bringing his people together to do something on a global scale. A mystery is something that is strange or unknown, something that you can't really put the two and two together and figure it out. And that's what Paul is calling this thing called God's people together. We know it as the local church. But Paul is saying this thing together is a mystery. And he says it was something that in the Old Testament was, was not perceived. So when the Old Testament saints would read their scriptures and they would, you know, study their Old Testament, there was something that they were missing. They were all looking to the future, to a time where the Messiah would come, where the peace of God, where the shalom of God would come and rest here on earth and Jerusalem would be the center. And, and they were like, yes, we want that future. But Paul's going to unveil for us here. He's going to make clear for us that there was actually more that God was doing. You could see bits of it in here, but the nation was missing it. Their eyes were closed to this mystery. And it was this, that God was not just 
pulling together a people that were connected by DNA alone. God was not pulling together people that were only born out of these tribes of Israel. That God was doing something bigger. God was bringing together people from all different corners of the planet. And Paul says, this is a mystery. So look at verse 6. Verse 6, Paul says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ, Christ Jesus, through the gospel. Paul says, here's the peoples together. The Messiah is not just here for people who are of a certain lineage, a certain DNA background, but God is doing something bigger. Paul says, this is actually what I'm here to to preach and to make clear for everyone that this is what God is up to. And sin from the beginning has manifested itself in many ways, but one one of the great ways that it manifests itself is actually disconnection. Separation. I mean, that's what sin is by definition. It is us separated from God. And so this separation then is constant over time, throughout culture, throughout history. There is aggravation, separation over and over and over again. In our day and age, it manifests itself in many different ways. We talked about the dividing wall last week. One of the ways that it manifests itself that kind of came to some clarity for me over the last few weeks is the loneliness that we are living in as a society. I don't know if you know this, but I I don't think it's an over-exaggeration to say that we are living in some of the most lonely times, especially in the West, from the beginning of time. We are more and more disconnected in our modern age. The Surgeon General recently, just this summer, I think, came out with a report that said um, all social activities and all kinds of like human connection are on the decline. So much so that they, uh, they quantify the impact of it as, as much as 12 cigarettes per day. That's kind of how they quantify the, the depth of pain that it causes into people's lives. It's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day because of the loneliness that people are experiencing. And the University of Pennsylvania did a study and they found that we are what they called in a friendship recession where people are lonelier than ever. And this study found that social media helps to actually fuel the feelings of loneliness. So this Amazing invention, all these apps and this thing that we all carry around with us, which is meant to connect us, according to the University of Pennsylvania, actually does the opposite. It separates us and it makes us feel, whether or not it's real or not, it makes us feel more lonely. Daniel Cox, in an article this summer, wrote about the potential for artificial intelligence, okay? I'm, I'm out of my league here when we're talking about artificial intelligence. Talk to Sam, okay, if you want to know more about that. But he's writing about, you know, the potential good of artificial intelligence or the potential downside of AI. Now, a lot of people would say this is like, this is the remedy. If tech is the problem, maybe tech is the solution. Talks about Karen Marjorie, this uh, influencer that he met, who has 1.8 million Snapchat followers, okay? 
very popular out there and is connecting with people. And Karen is creating what she calls a Karen AI, okay, where she can no longer have to be her on this side of Snapchat, but she is creating this AI that's just going to kind of be there and connect with people automatically behind the scenes. And according to her math, at a rate of about a dollar a minute, she's estimating, now this article was just from August, so maybe, she's, maybe it's increased even, but she's estimating that her monthly income will be $5 million a month. Karen AI, sounds pretty profitable. Basically, a virtual date online is what she's talking about. Automatically connecting with people. And here's what Daniel Cox says, okay? This is from The Insider. This is not a Christian article, but here's his assessment of this. He says, AI promises that it is always here to listen and talk, always on your side. But that's not a realistic model, model for most relationships, which should be built on a foundation of give and take and mutual obligation rather than one-way devotion, the relationships that matter are formative. They change us. They provide us opportunities to practice forgiveness, patience, and kindness. The most valuable relationships are those that motivate us to become better. Relationships that do not require empathy and understanding rob us of the very things that make them so important. Daniel's saying, listen, AI, it might have some great potential. And it, it will. We're probably seeing the benefits of some of it already. But in terms of like the, the, the connection that you and I need with other people, he's saying we need these things like practicing forgiveness and patience and kindness. This is Daniel, as far as I know, not Christian, okay? But this is his assessment. And many of us, even those of us who grew up in church, have even experience lonely in the context of God's people, loneliness. So it's not like just being here in the room is going to instantly solve the problem. Because many of us have had many different experiences of church life, good, bad, but there is often still, for many people, their experience is one of loneliness in the context of church. So Jeremy Lin, in his little booklet entitled, Why Do We Feel Lonely at Church? He writes this, People reject Christianity not primarily because of our doctrine, but because of our lack of intentionality in relationships. They're leaving the church not mainly because of the failures of public figures, but because their Christian neighbors aren't loving. And while we should be concerned if people are leaving for any reason, we should be crushed that people are leaving for this one. Basically saying, listen, the reason that many people leave church is because they have never experienced member-like connection. Relational, deep connection. And all of us are slowly being given this taste of our modern age, which is radical individualism where we are the ones who are the driving force for all of our life. And so to come into a context where, listen again, listen again to verse 6. What does he say? This is the mystery. This is it. This is the mystery. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs 
and members of the same body. There's your mystery. Members of the same body coming together. Not a bunch of radical individualists coming together as individuals and then leaving as individuals. Paul says this is the mystery that God is bringing together a people. A people. Not just a bunch of individual Christians, but a people. He is uniting them together as one. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's call, God's vision for our lives is actually a a revolutionary community of men and women bound together by the love of Christ, committed to each other, belonging with one another. This is the vision for the church. And it's a vision that we can actually enter into, but it's, we constantly bring our brokenness to it, so it's something that possibly some have never experienced in church context. I hope, though, that many of you have. I hope many of you can actually point back to experiences and you can say, that verse 6, I've experienced some of that, and I want more of that. That's what I want to build here. I want to build a church that is bound together, belonging and committed. So Paul says, this is the movement, this is the mystery that God is pulling together a people, a people that are belonging. So this idea of gathering together, belonging together is actually for our good. So the weather was gorgeous. So yesterday I barbecued some burgers. I don't know if you did that. I went to the butcher, local butcher shop, got some more burgers. And I still barbecue Kind of like how I think it's supposed to be done, or at least this is how my father-in-law did it, with charcoal, okay? I'm not sure how many charcoalers. I know there's, a, there's one charcoaler here. Takes a little longer, okay, but tastes a little better. But here's the deal with charcoal. Here's what you don't do. You don't start the charcoal by putting one piece over there, one piece over there, one piece over here, spreading it all out. That's not how you do it. You put it, often you'll put it in a chimney, or at least you'll put it in a pile, so that together the heat is transferred. The togetherness actually creates the heat. And this is what Paul is saying. This, this church, this belonging, together we actually create the heat of the gospel. Together we do that. Not individuals separated. This is the mystery that we're actually stronger when we're together. The gospel becomes clearer We get red hot for the truth of Christ together. So he says this is part of the mystery, is belonging. But it's also a commitment. Paul is using here uh, spiritual language that is tied to physical language. So he says you're members of the same body, right? So this physical body, he says you are connected together. And whether or not you feel that or not, that is the spiritual reality of you as a Christian. You are brought together. Now, some people balk at the idea of like church membership or like committing to each other. But listen, those things, a a thing like church membership actually just helps us who are trying to live out in our own weakness the reality of what we are already. What does Paul say? We are members. That's done. We're members. But here on earth, we're constantly fractured. 
We're constantly being pulled apart. And so using something like membership or some, some, some form of commitment is a way to, to bind us together, to pull us together so that we don't separate out, but that we are drawn in. Remember I said, as, as a parent, when you have kids, you're trying to move them from me to we. And so you do things in the family to kind of create this bond whether they like it or not, right? As parents, that's just what we do. So, you know, in our family, our kids have been doing dishes for years. I mean, they started doing dishes when we had to put a chair by the sink and they're standing there and they're just doing the rinse, okay? And even that, a little subpar, you know, but they're doing it, okay? But they're slowly working their way to do more and more. Why? Because they're a member of the family and their commitment to the family. Everybody is benefiting from even semi-clean dishes, okay? And part of this is this realization that you're in a family and you're going to do some things now to, to kind of experience the flourishing of that family. And Paul is saying here, you're members. You belong together. So commit to one another. Serve one another. Live out this real experience because we were called to do this together as a church. So, the mystery of Paul and the mystery of the movement. And then finally, verse 10, the mystery of the message. Listen to this. So that through the church, and if you have a Bible or if you have a pen, a paper, that's a, that's a little phrase to underline and highlight. So that through the church, just think about that. This is God's vision to 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 spread out over the planet and then through all kinds of little local churches around the world, or maybe big ones, you know, 10,000 people, who knows what it is, through the church, God is working. This is part of the mystery as well, that God could take a little local church like Citizens Church, 150, 175 people, that God could take that group of people and he could do something through them that people would experience the presence of God through a local gathering of people. And then that just spreads out. Throughout our town here, there's a bunch of other churches. Throughout this country, spread out all over the planet. This is not stuck to one region. This work of the local church goes everywhere throughout the world. And God has been doing this for thousands of years now, over 2,000 years, through the church through a weak gathering of people. His message has gone out. The grace of God has gone out. So through the church then, verse 10 here, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul says, here's what it's going to look like. Through the local church, they're going to be like cutting edge, they're going to be so relevant. No, Paul doesn't say any of that kind of stuff, okay? Paul says, through the local church, the manifold wisdom. That word manifold in the original Greek means this, it's, it's like a, an ornate robe 
sewn together. Okay, a robe of like multicolored, all kinds of design. You know, think Joseph and his colored jacket and all that. That's what this word means. What is, that, what is Paul saying there? The manifold wisdom of God is going to be this, this gathering together of all kinds of different ethnicities, all kinds of different races, all kinds of different classes and, and economic statuses, all these different kinds of people that the world says, why would these people ever be together? What would pull these people together? How? Paul says that is the manifold witness that is going to be on display. God's people coming together, united under the banner of Christ. And he says the ones who are going to be watching are these rulers and authorities in heavenly places. All I could think of was these like old pictures of medical students, nurses, and doctors watching a surgery. That's what came to mind this week, you know. In, in the old days, this is what it looked like. Now they probably do it by Zoom or something, I don't know. But all these students sitting and watching, that's what it says the heavenly rulers and authorities are doing. I take that to mean at least the angels, okay? It could be more than that. But these heavenly beings, these angels are, I think they're smiling. These ladies aren't really smiling though, okay? But I think the angels will be smiling. God says they look at what we're involved in as the local church and they sit in wonder the grace of God on display. Angels have no choice. Angels are following God's instructions. They are doing what God asks them to do, his bidding. But here they see us, people who are still living with the effects of sin, and they say, wow, God is actually doing something through that group of people? God, is, his grace is able to land in their hearts and do something? They're standing and watching in wonder. So Paul says, the manifold witness of God is on display. Then in verse 11, he says there is purpose involved in what God is doing. He says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Then finally, in verse 13, so I ask you, and this is like a personal word here, a little personal note that Paul puts in. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's writing this from a prison. And he knows what's going through their mind. They're all thinking, this is terrible. Paul's in prison. Everybody through all... Through all of history, through all of time, nobody's been like, prison, I kind of want to go there, you know? Hawaii or prison, I think it's going to be prison. No, everybody's thinking, prison is bad. And so Paul knows that when they hear that he is writing from prison, their mindset is, Paul is in trouble. And that would be my, that'd be my mindset as well, I, if I'm honest, that I don't want suffering to come into my life. I don't want suffering to come into the lives of my family. As an elder of this church, I don't want suffering to come into your life. But can I tell you, that is the wrong perspective. Paul says part of the mystery is that God's people can go through deep suffering, prison, difficulty, hardship, 
loss. God's people can go through all those things and God's eternal purposes are not thwarted. God's eternal purposes for your life, his will for your life is not blown out of the water. He is working his good pleasure and his good work in your life, even in the difficulty. So Paul says, embrace this church that in every aspect of your life, the gospel and the glory of Christ touches that place. Man, it gives us courage to move forward no matter what. And so this morning, we're going to transition now to the Lord's Supper, an event that when the first Christians saw it happening, the disciples specifically, they thought, this can't be good. This is not good. That our Messiah, the one that we've put all our hopes in, is now hanging on a cross. But they came to learn what we know now, that through the greatest suffering and through the greatest difficulty, God's work was accomplished. The greatest work ever was accomplished. And Jesus Though he died on the cross and we eat the bread, which represents his body that is broken, and we drink the juice, which represents his blood that was poured out for us, he sacrificed himself for our sins, not for his own, for our sins, and rose from the dead so that we could be invited into his family. And now here we sit, invited ones, who are bound together now because of Jesus' love. And so he says, live your lives now as children who have experienced the love of Jesus together. So this morning, we're doing something a little bit different, okay? I'm, there's nobody that's going to actually bring the dishes to you. What we're going to do is you are going to walk up and take the bread and the cup yourself. You're going to Take this, which is really an invitation, and you're going to come and take it. And if you don't want to participate in communion, you can just sit. That's okay. But for those who would like to, I'm going to start with the front rows, and the, and the rows are going to kind of come down the middle, grab your cup and your juice, and then you can take it back to the seat, okay? And we're just going to kind of follow along, and those in the balcony, you get a bit of a journey, okay? You can work your way down at any time and, and bring yourself into this celebration together. So let me pray and then I'll get you guys started. Lord, we're so humbled by Jesus's work on the cross. Lord, we thank you that this mystery of the gospel and its power and the unity that we enjoy has not remained hidden, but that it's been revealed Lord, we can, we can know you. We can, with certainty, uh, trust you. And Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, experience the bread and the juice, Lord, that you would remind us again of the blessing and the wonder of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Lord, would you encourage us as we reflect and as we think about your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.